Every career is a journey. Every leader has a story. Welcome to Journey to the Energy C-Suite, where we look at the strategies and techniques that turn solid leaders into top executives. This is your place to hear practical wisdom and guidance from real people who know what it takes. With your host, Ryan Sanford. Ryan Sanford, and I want to thank everyone again for pressing that play button and a huge thanks to all of you who have subscribed so far. If you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Please hit that button wherever you access the show. And also don't be afraid to leave a review. Let us know what topics you want to hear about in the future. Or if you have any guests that you want to suggest that would be a good fit for the show, drop me a note on the show website at journeytotheenergycsuite.com. And of course, we wouldn't be able to bring this show to you without the support of our partners at the University of Oklahoma's Price College of Business, Executive MBA in Energy. They are educating and developing the energy leaders of tomorrow. So if you're thinking about advancing your career in energy, open the show notes, click on their link and explore the great programs at Price College. Now to our guest today, he was a starting offensive lineman and team captain of the 2003 national champion LSU Tigers. He was a first team academic All-American for three straight years, National Football Foundation Award winner in 2003, went on to play professional football with three different teams before starting his business career at Ernst & Young. He is currently the president of the Completion Tools Division at NOV. He is Rodney Reed. Rodney, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, obviously sports played such a huge part in in your upbringing. And I just want to start there. If you can think about playing team sports, and I know you played multiple sports growing up. Tell us about how that dynamic of playing and participating in team sports really shaped you as a young man. Yeah, well, and thanks for the intro, but, you know, yeah, just to be clear, it's easy to play for three different teams in about a year and a half period when you, you know, are consistently getting cut, cut and released in the NFL. But yeah, no, thanks for that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, as you sort of reflect back, you know, on your sports career and what are some of those lessons that you that you learned early, early in life and, and you know, how is that shaped your future and your business, you know, development, you know, I kind of go back and look at a few different things. You know, number one is obviously teamwork, you know, large organizations, you really have to work with people, work with teams. And, you know, really at the end of the day, being part of the team sometimes has sacrifice, you know, depending on the role that you play at the time, depending on, you know, the sort of hours that you're working and those types of things. But but certainly that that sort of team, you know, aspect is is critical. Number two is really, you know, adversity, you know, in sports, much like in business, you know, you have wins and losses pretty much every week, you know, certainly every month. And it's really about how you overcome those challenges and sort of, you know, play the next play, get to the next opportunity and not dwell on both wins or losses. If you're focused too much on wins, that's a problem. If you're focused too much on losses, that's a problem too. Number three is really the sort of, you know, commitment, so really sort of developing that consistency that's required both in sports and life and in business. And then also critically important, you know, with the teams that you play on both in sports as well as in business is the diversity aspect. You know, so playing sports early, early in life, you always play with different groups that have you know different backgrounds from different parts of the country. And that always helps set the foundation to what real life looks like, you know, which is, you know, oftentimes diverse. Yeah. You like a lot of successful people really good at prioritizing and managing your time. I haven't met anyone who's, who's achieved success in life at a high level that 
that and hasn't really mastered that. And, you know, you didn't just maintain good grades while you were also playing a high level division one sport. I mean, you excelled academically as well as on the field. How did you do that? Yeah, well, you know, certainly having a, you know, a good support structure, you know, helps. And luckily, luckily in college, we had a great support structure. But, you know, really looking at, you know, that time allocation standpoint, I always say like you have plenty of time to do whatever it is that you want to do during a day. If that's workout, if that's spending time with friends, if that's being part of, you know, certain faith or civic organizations, you, you know, you always have time to do what you want. But it's really about sort of, you know, allocating that time to what's important, you know, at any given point in life. So, you know, sometimes that's a higher amount of time, you know, spent on school or education. Sometimes that's a higher amount of time spent on business. Sometimes it's family. And so really trying to balance that. But but for me, it was always sort of in particular being a college student athlete was really about, you know, having a pretty set schedule, I always say you know, college athletes, it's a special time in their lives and it's a lot of hours. It's waking up early in the morning. It's going to classes. It's going to, uh, you know, take care of your study hall. It's practice. It's, you know, mandatory lunches and dinners, study hall at night. So it's, you know, you kind of get up and, and get going early in the morning and get back to your dorm or apartment, you know, late at night. So it really teaches you about time allocation and staying on top of things, because if you're not, you know, really focused day to day, it's, you know, kind of presents some challenges. And you played on a lot of great teams, had a lot of great players and, and teammates that, that you played along with, but you were named captain of a championship team, the 2003 championship team for LSU. You know, tell us about how that came about, how you became the team captain and what did that mean for you? Yeah. So, you know, I got to LSU in 1999, you know, our, our coaching staff after that year, we were three and eight and the entire coaching staff got fired. And really those of us who sort of stuck it out for the next four years had a solid run and really sort of set up the foundation over the last, you know, 20 years or so for, for LSU. But, you know, so we had a great few next years, you know, four winning seasons and two SEC championships and three and three bowl wins, including two Sugar Bowls, and then a national championship. And really, really being named, you know, team captain was a great honor. You know, had a chance to play a lot of ball early in my career. And so, you know, sort of being in those roles definitely was helpful. But I really think it's more a matter of not only sort of how you play, but how you present yourself and the consistency, both on the field as well as off the field. I think, you know, people, you know, certainly look at the results, but you also, as a team and as a teammate, you look at sort of how you treat people, the process that you go through, you know, in terms of how you work out, you know, how you treat people. So yeah, no, that was definitely, you know, a nice recognition, you know, my, my last year at LSU. Yeah. I heard you mention the word process and you actually had a, an opportunity to play for maybe the greatest coach of all time and Nick Saban. He talks a lot about the process, focusing on what you do every day, not just the results. Tell us about what it was like to play for Coach Saban. What did you learn about leadership from him? Yeah, you know, it's really several things. I think it's really, you know, how you get the most out of people to start with. And, you know, a lot of us, you know, we always have that that approach where you say, look, I'm going to treat everybody the exact same. Nobody gets any sort of special treatment. Well, I mean, that's good and bad. You know, sometimes, you know, different people respond in a different manner. So as a leader, you do have to treat people just a bit different. I'm not saying, you know, lowering your standards. I'm just saying your sort of approach, you know, approach to people has to somewhat change. Now, 
in a coaching or sort of sports environment, sometimes, you know, people respond better to, you know, you know, hard, tough coaching. Some people sort of shut down and, you know, it's more of the encouraging, you know, type that you need translating that over to business. Sometimes, you know, treating people, you know, differently in terms of how your approach is, is critically important, you know, in terms of how to get the most out of people. Number two is, you know, really just preparation. You know, there was no team that was, you know, ever going to be more prepared than what we were. And when you're prepared, you're confident in how you go approach the situation. Same for us. You want to be, you know, in business, you want to have the right competencies, the right training. And when you go out and you feel like you're going to be successful, you, you generally are going to be successful. But, you know, having that right confidence, that really gets back to preparation. And then the last thing is really sort of just, you know, and you've heard it talked about before, it's about, you know, process. So don't be concerned, you know, always with the results. Be concerned with how you got to those results, you know, type of thing. Those are the critical, critical aspects. And it all just gets back to sort of consistency, sort of waking up every morning and saying, look, you know, how am I going to get better today? How am I going to get the team better? How am I going to get the organization better? Those types of things. And you obviously carried a lot of that over when you started your business career, when your football days were over. You started your corporate career at, at EY on the consulting and advisory side. And uh, I've been in the consulting industry for a long time. Was that perspective of, I've heard it being described as sort of being a corporate voyeur at times where you, you have this lens into multiple different types of companies and businesses and leadership teams, did that help shape you to the point where you can you know, now, now run your own business? Yeah, no, not spot on, Ryan. I think when you join a big group like EY or, or, you know, consulting businesses that you've been a part of, I think you're really sort of, you're able to get those experiences across, you know, a wide variety of types of companies. So when I was at EY, served, you know, oil and gas companies as well as tech companies and other industries. So that helps, you know, strengthen because, you know, business is not only about the sort of, you know, depth of experience, but it's also the breadth of experience and getting a variety of different views. And certainly at Ernst & Young, got to spend, you know, time with a lot of different oil and gas companies. And as well, I kind of go back to that, you know, point around team, as well as my early career at EY, which was heavily influenced around diversity. You know, diversity builds, you know, stronger teams. And we had, you know, very diverse teams there and that made us stronger. And certainly as I've, you know, gone into different leadership groups in the oil and gas industry, try to take those same concepts to say, hey, our best teams when I was in sports, you know, had different skill sets, different backgrounds. Same thing when I was at EY. And we certainly have the same philosophy here at NOV now. Tell us about the first time you stepped into a formal leadership role where you're actually now responsible for other people. What was that like? Yeah, you know, again, I go back to sort of initially my time at EY. When you're in a consulting type of position, you pretty quickly get into leading teams. And that might be a team of five people or 10 people or 15 people on different size projects. And really, you know, in terms of the approach that I've always had, you know, really then as well as now has been fairly consistent. You know, number one, you have to sort of set this, you know, set the standard. What are we trying to accomplish as a team? What's the goal? What's the vision? Making sure everybody understands what that is. And as long as everybody understands what we're trying to accomplish, everybody can move, move in that direction. Number two, I think, you know, you sort of, you know, go back to that preparation. You give people the right training to succeed. And then number three, you give the people, you know, you give your team, the people on your team, the chance to succeed. 
And so, you know, no one likes to sort of be micromanaged. You want to make sure everybody understands the standards, the goals, the vision that we're trying to set. You want to make sure people have the competency and the framework to be able to have a chance to go succeed. And then people want that opportunity to go succeed. And, you know, generally, I think if you have those things in place, most people are going to be, you know, very successful. And so that's the same thing that we've sort of always focused on. Set the vision, make sure people have the training to achieve that. And most importantly, let people go have that success. When you first came to NOV, you were working in the internal audit group, and then you moved to a, to a corporate development role. And then, and then now you're, you're the president of the completion tools division. Think about how important those different experiences are to have different types of assignments to prepare you for more senior leadership roles. You bet. Yeah. Well, I think number one, it's always sort of good to be, you know, fairly, fairly lucky, you know, in terms of right place, right time. So I've generally had that on my side, sort of better be lucky than good sometimes. You know, also, I think it gets back to the sort of leadership that you work with. You always want to work with, you know, leaders that sort of give you a chance to take that next step in your career and, you know, sort of understand that sort of capabilities of people on your team to go have other experiences. So, you know, just because you're at this position, accounting or HR or engineer, doesn't mean that you can't go do something else and making sure that you have leadership and the culture to go, you know, have those opportunities is important. I think number three, it's really sort of about, you know, also personally accepting the challenge, getting out of your comfort zone. So sometimes people are sort of a little bit scared. You know, again, my my background's accounting, went into internal audit, had a chance to go run corporate development, which was, you know, really our M&A function at the time. But, you know, saying, hey, look, you know, you got a chance to be successful here, but also taking, you know, taking that chance to. And then it really all comes down to once you get that opportunity, make sure that you build a great team, you know, because you because you can't do all the work yourself. And you really have to make sure that you have a great team around you who can execute on the vision that you're trying to set. So when you think about how you maintain your own personal development now, you've achieved a lot already in your career and and you're the president of a large division of of a large company. I mean, how do you keep your own saw sharp? Yeah, well, you know, I think sort of at different levels, you try to have different focus. So, you know, if you're sort of in a tactical position, you're trying to get that sort of, you know, detail sharpened up, you know, really in my role now, you try to make sure that you're looking at trends looking and seeing, hey, look, where's the market going in the next two, three years? So a lot of that's, you know, quite frankly, you know, reading and sort of educating not only on the U.S. market, but we're a global company and the sort of macro trends around the world based on what region that you're in may be slightly different. So really in terms of staying sharp now, you know, personally, it's quite a bit of reading, principally looking and saying, hey, look, we all know where the market is in 2021. All of us can be fairly fairly sure about the next six months, but, you know, over the next two to three years, where do we need to be focused and, you know, evolving from a business opportunity standpoint? Yeah. You think back on 2020 and and even to the beginning of this year, it was a pretty tumultuous year in the industry. It it was a tumultuous year for everyone. But if you think about because of the unique challenges within oil and gas and a lot of of folks have left the industry, one of the key responsibilities for someone in, in your role is to make sure that you're retaining your top people. Tell us about your approach to that. You bet. You bet. And again, I go back to to sports. I've never been on a winning team that generally didn't have great players. And so the same thing here in business, it's really about 
your team. So, you know, yes, having great products and great technology helps. But at the end of the day, you know, people and people, people make the difference. And so, you know, I think you have to make sure that you're creating an atmosphere that people enjoy, enjoy what they do. Generally, people are not going to stick around long term if they don't feel, you know, some level of enjoyment for what they're doing. So that's, you know, sort of building the right environment. You know, also people want to be appreciated, you know, so hopefully a big aspect of that, certainly monetary, but also it's just the, you know, consistent reinforcement of doing a great job and making sure that people have that positive reinforcement. And then the last thing is, you know, just making sure people understand what they're contributing is working towards the vision or goal that you're setting. You know, team members become disconnected when they don't understand what they're working on and how that relates to the broader goals. So, you know, those are the things that we're trying to, you know, always try to be focused on. Sometimes for us, we can do a better job of that, but at least it's the goals that we're trying to work towards. When you're at the kind of mid-management level, you're really thinking about getting work done through other people. And then when you get to the senior levels of leadership, you're now a leader among a team of leaders. So being able to exert influence to your peers and manage those peer relationships is really critically important. Tell us about your approach to that. Yeah, well, getting back to that sort of people is the most critical aspect of business. In particular, I'd say for oil and gas, because it's such a small, close-knit network. So one day, someone who is your customer, the next day may be your competitor, and the next year may be your supplier. So the relationships are all, you know, constantly evolving. And so, yeah, and so part of it is just that sort of business networking that's important, but also it's the having the right network out there to make sure that you're looking at that sort of diversity in opinion, diversity in thoughts. You know, that's the advantage sometimes of being in a consultancy, you know, type of role because you're meeting with a lot of different companies. And, you know, here we can certainly have some strong internal thoughts, but also sort of having that network to be able to go out to, to have those discussions to make sure that, you know, sort of sanity check some of those items and hear what others are thinking as well. So, yeah, you know, consistently having that network and the oil and gas industry does a great job of that. It's such a you know open group. And, you know, generally I found leaders across companies are very open and very you know, helpful with their time and thought process. Yeah, you mentioned being open and your buddy David Reed over at NOV, who's certainly a friend of the OGGN. He, he's actually, since he's taken over the marketing role at NOV, has, has really encouraged you guys, the employees, to, to really talk about what you're doing, to not be so guarded about that. And I think that's a great thing for the industry. I mean, is that a bit of a mind shift for some companies to not tightly control so much of their employees actually going out and talking to the public about what they do? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I think that's definitely intentional to build awareness. And some of that, you know, does certainly get back to the continued evolution in terms of how we're thinking about, you know, ESG, you know, so, you know, a lot of times when you think about ESG, you know, you're thinking about just the sort of environmental impact, but it's, but it's really everything. It's the social, it's the governance and, you know, sort of those things all relate to each other. So thinking about technology, thinking about where we're trying to go, but also thinking about how that plays into the overall you know, network going forward, not just sort of oil and gas, but also what we're doing and what David has been certainly getting the message out on is a lot of the stuff that we're, that we're working on also impacts a lot of different other renewable type opportunities. 
And then also from an employee base you know, standpoint as well, you know, employees want to go not only have an impact for the company they work on or work with, they also want to make sure that they have an impact on the, you know, from a social aspect. So both in the communities as well as, you know, areas of interest. And so I think we've done a good job of getting that message out. And that also helps our people be a lot more connected. Yeah, Rodney, so many challenges in the energy industry right now, as you think about all the changes from last year coming out of a pandemic. But if you think about the next three to five years, I mean, what's the most important thing that energy industry leaders really absolutely must get right? Yeah, I think I'd start by saying that, you know, the oil and gas industry is still a very robust industry. I think that's going to be the case for many, many more years to come. You know, what's the definition of many, many? Well, that's the challenging part. But if you look at you know, the starting with generally just demand, the growing markets from an emerging market standpoint are really the biggest drivers of oil demand over the last several years, as well as going forward. And if you look at some of the you know countries where a significant amount of population is, there's still, you know, the energy intensity per person in those countries is still relatively low to what is in the U.S. or Europe. So those countries will continue, you know, development of their energy infrastructure, and that's going to go drive more need and use for oil and gas over the next several years. Now, however, the two trends that we have to continue to make sure that we're actively addressing, actively investing in, you know, number one is data and, you know, digital, the overall sort of digital transformation of the oil and gas you know, industry is well underway and making sure that every business really has a strategy around how you're going to deal with collecting data, interpreting data, turning that data into automation in terms of making better repeatable decisions. Every business sort of has to have that data slash digital and not only the data gathering, but what you're doing with the data. And then number two, I think it's critically important for everyone to understand the importance of the you know environmental aspect you know also and so you know NOV we've been very focused on making investments where we have a great opportunity to provide the biggest impact you know our engineers are some of the best engineers in the world no matter what the end use happens to be for us a lot of you know over the last 100 years has been more oil and gas but these are super super bright people and their skill set is not oil and gas, their skill set is solving complicated problems. The skill set that, you know, a lot of our teams have from a project management standpoint, dealing with, you know, you know, offshore drilling projects is dealing with complicated offshore projects. So those types of skill sets are easily transferred into other areas of wind and geothermal and carbon capture and all those areas. So clearly making sure that we're transferring some of those skill sets into other uses that positively impact, you know, our our environment and our world is critically important. And again, that kind of gets back to that, you know, area of making sure from a team standpoint that you have the right types of teams that are built with the right backgrounds to be successful. Yeah, Rodney, thanks so much for sharing your perspective. It was really awesome to have you on the show. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks everybody for listening today. We'll be back again soon with another episode of Journey to the Energy C-Suite. want to once again thank our show sponsors, the good folks at the Price College of Business at the University of Oklahoma and their executive MBA program in energy. 
Remember, please go on our show page or wherever you access the show and leave us a review and hit that subscribe button. We'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for June 2021. This month, we have six events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occurred two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting two events. One is online and one is in person. For our online event, we're hosting a live stream titled Deal Value Creation, M&A and ONG. This is gonna be on June the 2nd. And for our in-person event, we're relaunching our happy hours. It's been far too long since we had a good happy hour, so I'm sure plenty of you will be excited to hear that our next happy hour will be at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on June 24th. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. We hope to see you there. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events, which are the Energy Capital Conference on June 2nd at the Omni Houston Hotel and the U.S. Police and Fire Championships from June 10th to the 21st. The Police and Fire Championships will be hosted in multiple locations, so make sure to check out our events newsletter for more information about that. Next, we have our two online events, the first being the Post-Industrial Summit Series. This event actually started on May 4th, but it'll be ending later this month on June 22nd, so there's still plenty to see. And our second online event is the Big Data Industry Summit from June 9th to 10th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for June. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another enlightening episode of Journey to the Energy C-Suite, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.